Pick up your paintbrush. It's time for Hobby Support Group. Hello, listeners. This is Ed, and I'm joined here today by Chris McDowell. Chris is a games designer, and his new game, The Doomed, is due to be published this August through Osprey. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hi, I'm very good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, I don't know what the weather's like um, up your way. Uh, it's kind of sort of it sort of rained mid-afternoon, but I think we've got a, quite a pleasant evening at the moment. Yeah, it's disconcertingly sunny. Uh, I, I don't trust... Uh, I'm in Manchester, so I don't trust when it's sunny. Yeah, yeah. I, I was <laughs> up in Manchester earlier in the year for Warhammer Fest. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I was... I, I felt like I'd um, had the full Manchester experience because there was a complete torrential downpour while I was trying to get to the hotel. Thought, yeah, that's yeah, it. Great. That's the culture. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I was going to start off by asking how you got into wargaming. Sure. So um, I think for a lot of people in the UK, it's kind of a similar story of um, I was at, uh, ooh, well, primary school, I guess, at the time. So I think I was in like year five. So maybe... Uh, 10 years old I think um, and the it was sort of like show and tell day when people could bring in things and a boy from the year above had brought in uh, a load of Warhammer 40k stuff and that was the first time I'd seen anything like that really because um, at the risk of sounding like an old man this was before the internet um, oh, yeah. and I'd never picked up like a white dwarf magazine or anything like that so I, I just didn't know these things existed and I was kind of hooked in straight away um sort of equally by the the miniatures that he had and he was you know telling us about how to play the game and everything but just uh, as much as anything else like the, the, the magazines themselves uh, mm. just that they seemed to like suggest that this whole world that existed um in terms of both the the world of the the setting but also like the world of this hobby that was all yeah. kind of very new and exciting for me um, so yeah, that that was how I kind of fell into it from there, and then it was a case of you know saving up pocket money for uh, Monopo's plastic Skaven, and um, <laughs> yeah, going from there. Um, and yeah, from that point on, I was I was kind of hooked really, and I've kind of bounced in and out of uh, the hobby ever since then. Cool. And what sort of era would this be of White Dwarf? <clears throat> so this would this would have been ninety nineteen ninety five, I think this was. Okay. Summer of ninety five. So right. it was um, the the real sort of hardcore people tell me that was past the prime of White Dwarf <laughs> because this <laughs> this is when White Dwarf would be, was a glorified uh, advert and brochure for Games Workshop, which you know at, at yeah. the time I was completely down with because I didn't know anything else existed. So um, <clears throat> it, it it felt like it was the place to go. Um, I think everyone has that experience with their period being the great one, and then someone else going, "Oh no, it was rubbish then." Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, and you know, with, I was I was speaking to a friend about this actually recently because we, we're both similar ages and we got into it at the same time, um, but sort of from separate backgrounds. And we, we both kind of said that at the time we, we did get drawn in by that, uh, they call it like the, the red period. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah absolutely. Like the super bright colours. Um, like that worked on us. We, we were like 10-year-old boys and, <laughs> and it, it sort of drew us in. Whereas now I look at that, it's very easy to look back on that and kind of scoff at it. But... I may not have been here because I think at the time I wasn't so much that the grimdark John Blanche stuff didn't yeah. really appeal to me that much when I was that young um, until until a bit later on. So, so yeah, it, it worked. 
And uh, what sort of games were you playing? So was it just 40k or? Well, it was actually Warhammer Fantasy. Um, uh-huh. I, I managed to convince my dad to drive me to the nearest games workshop, which was a little bit away because I grew up sort of in the middle of the country. And um, when we got there, a very enthusiastic red shirt uh, came over to me and sort of said, oh, you, you know, what, what game do you play? And I said, oh, well, I'm, I've never been to one of these shops before. I'm, I'm still sort of looking around. And he said, um, so he said, what's cooler, guns or swords? Um, so under the pressure, I said swords. And then he said, so you want to play fantasy then? And I was like, okay, you're, you're, you're the expert. I'm, I'm just a 10-year-old boy. And you're, you're clearly a, a, a guru of this whole world. Um, so I was assigned to, to, to fantasy, yeah. Um, and then I got drawn in by the Skaven. And Warhammer Fantasy was kind of my my main focus for a while, which which I look back and kind of regret because I feel like in some ways 40k has some of the more interesting stuff going on with the setting, but that that, that, that it's, it's, the grass is always greener, oh, um, sure. I guess. And and the grass was very green back then on tabletops as well, so that's... Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's doubly. <laughs> <laughs> the grass is always go- goblin greener, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Clashing with the with the red. That, that's, that's it, um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so, so the, the, the thing is, though, with these you know, I, I was drawn by the idea of these big fantasy battles. But the thing is, I, I wasn't very good at painting. I, I didn't particularly enjoy the painting side of it at the time. And modeling, I didn't really have any aptitude with that. So, and also money, I was, you know, I was working off pocket money. So it was, it was very hard to build a Skaven army it was a terrible choice as well, because you need so many of these. And the vast majority of them were like lead, and very expensive at the time. So it was, it was very hard to put together a, a a table that looked anything like what you'd see in white dwarf and what the kind of the promise of the game never really came about so so my friend and i who played we, we kind of soon kind of diverted out to the sort of smaller scale stuff like when necromunda came out yeah that was something we could we could very easily throw together like cardboard terrain for that and you know i could afford to buy a gang of like 10 miniatures or whatever it was at the time um and you know we, we could paint them to look quite grotty and and that that kind of worked um so yeah the 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 skirmish style definitely kind of uh led me astray from that big huge table experience for quite for quite a while and uh we're talking before um you do a bit of role you were doing role playing as well or was that later on well that was kind of i kind of fell into that through um playing again warhammer quest was kind of the the closest to a role-playing game i would play that with a friend and like we would take turns being like the person running the dungeon and we'd do like very light kind of rpg stuff where we would try and do something that wasn't covered in the rules and just kind of make something up but but i never really i wasn't really aware of like like i knew dungeons and dragons as a a name and i knew like the cartoon that was on tv um but i didn't know anyone who played it there was no one at my school that played that there were there were a few people who played warhammer but no one played uh rpgs so it 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 took me a while to get sort of into that world and kind of actually play rpgs but yeah with with, it was kind of with the dawn of um third edition D &D, I managed to kind of get into that a little bit and and yeah that kind of really drew me in and kind of drew me away from the miniatures perhaps at a time when i was now becoming like an older teenager and I wanted to spend my money on other things, and um, I uh, was perhaps thought myself too cool to be uh, painting model soldiers for 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 a decade or two. Perhaps <laughs> that sounds very familiar. That whole yeah. kind of, I'm, I'm too cool for this. Yeah. So so obviously RPGs are completely cool. So that's absolutely fine. 
they're easier to hide that's the thing yeah that's that's true true. (laughs) i guess it's kind of more sociable Um, yeah yeah um so yeah role-playing games i kind of then discovered the world of uh sort of a a lot of rpgs that people were making and just posting online for like free that were very kind of rules light and that that in particular kind of really interested me because like i say that the, the big complicated side of gaming it, it held a kind of mystique originally but then i soon realized that, that wasn't really kind of what i wanted to get out of the hobby so uh so yeah finding that kind of rules like stuff was really interesting for me because i remember um getting into uh and I guess in my 20s and sort of finding a whole host of this kind of homebrew stuff and um really interesting kind of zine type stuff yeah loads of, was that your experience kind of the, the well absolutely and i think the thing is it's i sort of was joking earlier about saying like i didn't know that other games existed i think that, that that's obviously kind of part of the games workshop strategy is that yeah um, you bring people in to games workshop games and they, they know warhammer and warhammer adjacent games but you can't you know there was never any other games in white dwarf when i was growing up and yeah. and it, it it gives this kind of feel of like well you've got to be doing the official rules and even though me and my friend would mess around with like changing the rules a little bit we it always felt like we shouldn't be doing that and it felt like we needed to be doing it the official way if we were ever if we were going to go to a games workshop and play with like a random person heaven forbid uh you know you needed to make sure your army was like legit um so i think coming out of that world and coming into this world where it seems like everyone was just doing their own thing um outside of like the D bubble um yeah that, that was really kind of freeing to sort of have all these different options and realize that well maybe this is something that i could just make my own rules and not have to not have to just adapt to what this company says we should be playing yes um and you've uh done some uh you've published some role-playing games uh, uh modules is that right or, or uh no standalone games so the all oh, right cool okay the, the i did a game called into the odd uh which i published uh well I published with a, a small press publisher called lost pages uh yep. they published it for me uh nearly 10 years ago now actually and that was just a little like you say a little kind of zine thing really yeah uh, 48 page uh very very rules like rpg um about kind of going into dungeons and trying not to die horribly Uh, and then I did a follow-up to that which used the same system but it was a slightly different take on it called Electric Bastion Land Uh, uh, 2020 I think that no 2019 sorry that was Um, and that did well enough that now I'm lucky enough to do this as my job and um, continuing to make RPGs and dip into dip back into miniature games as well great so um, the doomed. I've uh, seen um, a, a, a number of articles in War Games Illustrated. Mm. I think some of the listeners hopefully will be aware. But um, where, where did the? I've, I've been plugging it on the Facebook page, if nothing else. Um, and uh, so, where did the idea for the doomed come from? So the idea that I always think that like, the best games come out of necessity, really. So, like I said, I was, when I started making RPGs, I, ma- I was making the RPG that I wanted to exist because I didn't particularly like how other games were doing things. So yeah. with Doom, the necessity came from uh, during the first lockdown in the UK. Oh, yeah. I, I always hate that I have to bring up COVID for this origin story, but it's it's pretty closely tied to, uh, to the game. Oh, really. for sure, yeah um so during the first lockdown it was it was my birthday shortly after and i think i can't remember somebody bought me like a a voucher for amazon and said you know get yourself something something to keep you busy inside when you when you're stuck inside um and i thought you know what i've been 
thinking for a while now, I would like to uh, do some modeling and pa paint some little miniatures because I, I hadn't painted a miniature or really played a miniature game properly in like 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, well, I'll, I keep hearing about this kit bashing thing. I'll buy a pack of Gene Steeler cultists and a pack of uh, Adeptus Mechanicus guys and yep. uh, and even and, and, and some little bits of terrain as well. And I thought, I'll just, all I'll do is I'll just build these, paint them, and that'll keep me busy. Nice little indoor hobby for when I'm stuck indoors. And it won't go any further than that. Um, and then that sort of, I enjoyed it enough that I thought, well, it'd be a shame not to use these for some sort of game. And obviously there's loads of like skirmish games that you can use uh, with these. But the problem is like, I, I sort of knew at this point that when I started looking at other skirmish games, I, I, I knew deep down that I was going to end up writing something because it's just kind of in my nature to want to, to do things a bit differently. And, and it, it kind of emerged from that. And I wanted to make a very, very simple rules-like game that ran very fast in, in a pretty small amount of space because I haven't got like a giant table in my house. Yeah. Um, and let me let you kind of pitch like maybe four, five, six guys in a in a little warband against maybe the other person's five or six that they kept bashed together um and maybe some some weird monsters as well because they're lots of fun to convert and just like stick lots of spikes and tentacles or something and from there it, it eventually grew and grew and grew until it became the doomed um which is a game of you know small warbands taking on these big horrors and yeah. um and kind of clashing with each other as well but it but it really all comes down to being just a big excuse for uh kit bashing together weirdos and putting them in a warband and, and making a big horrible monster and and having a use for it uh so yeah uh, it definitely came out of necessity yes i think uh, there's a number of things that sound familiar the first is looking at the lockdown and thinking oh gosh what am i going to do yeah you know, tom and andy started this podcast so mm. uh, it's <laughs> Uh, I think um, the other thing is space. I mean, uh, that's a thing that we talk about a lot on the podcast. Um, and so the idea really appeals, I think, reading the description of the, the articles in Wargames Illustrated, the idea that it's a relatively known model count, but you're putting a lot of work into making those conversions and stuff. And I think the it, it's got a really unique um, aesthetic and design ethos. And so um, uh, that's another thing that really appeals. It's like kit bashing and um, conversion of, of, of your miniatures. Um, that's really seems to be at the heart of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the setting kind of grew out of that. So I didn't yeah. come into this thinking, oh, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this story I want to tell about this world. Like I didn't really, that's not really how I approach games as such. It, it, it came more of the idea that, well, if I want to make all these weird mismatched miniatures, how can, how can I make that make sense? So the idea of the world is that it's this kind of uh, it's this world that's kind of assumed that it was kind of like a medievalish kind of planet, um, yeah. and then um, the company, whatever that entity may be, the company came to the planet and sort of landed with all of their sci-fi world. So it's like a sci-fi setting crashed into a medieval fantasy setting, and yeah. uh, they kind of occupied that world for a while, and then they decided for whatever reason to leave the planet. So the world that got left behind. Um, has this weird mix of like there's, there's guns and there's sci-fi stuff but it's also kind of post-apocalyptic because things are falling into disrepair and there's all these swords and crossbows and stuff from from before the company arrived uh, and in amongst that the kind of the world itself is kind of starting to give up and uh, there, there's various dooms that are growing out of the world almost that are these 
these forces that are kind of leading the world to perhaps an inevitable kind of apocalypse. Yeah, I think the um, in role playing games, uh, especially, there's a lot of like uh, the idea of things dissolving in fantasy literature as well. The idea that you know a magical apocalypse. I, the yeah. number of times I come across that, but this is really unique because it's kind of got a, a kind of I guess a capitalist kind of thing in there as well. Uh, it, yeah, so the idea of the company is kind of left quite open. So you, yeah. you could, I, I chose the word company because it's quite useful because it could mean like a corporation or it could mean like a military company um, yes. or, you know, like a company of knights or something. It, it, it can be, it, it can be interpreted in lots of different ways. But the, the main thing is some very advanced people showed up, hung around for a bit and then left. And um, I want it to be a setting that's kind of focused on what's happening like right now. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the a lot of the flavor of the world is is sort of drawing on what the company is left behind, but it never kind of gets too hung up on the history of the world. It's it's much more about like well, who's left, and yes. these are the people who are the doomed, I guess. Yeah, and I think you left yourself a lot of space there for the players to create their own bit of the world is was that is that part of the oh plan? definitely I, I wanted each because I, I knew i wanted to have like a few factions in there because i think it's useful to it's always good to pick a side like i said i remember like going and choosing like skaven and thinking like right this is my team i've never i've never cared about football but for a while yeah i would read battle reports in white dwarf and i would be picking a side <laughs> who i wanted oh, to yeah, win. Yeah. whoever was against the space marines i was like i want i want these guys to win against the space marines um but uh yeah so there's there's fun in picking a side so i knew i wanted to have like four factions um or or a number of factions at least and the the way that they ended up was i just sort of looked at all the stuff that i'd kitbashed and i hadn't really been doing it with a plan and i thought Mm -hmm. well how could i split these into four like different teams really and have it kind of make sense so you've got the the inheritors are kind of the the more human faction if you like um and then you had the martyrs who are the the faction that kind of blame their own humanity. So anyone that's got any kind of weird robot parts kind of goes into there because they're kind of, they're trying to like remove their humanity, I guess. Um, and they're kind of like, they've got like a kind of uh, funeral kind of thing going on as well, where they're kind of mourning the world. Um, you've got the reborn, who is anyone that looks like they've been messing with their genes or yep. or somebody that might mess with someone else's genes. So you've got like a lot of like weird science stuff as well as like, big mutants and, and horrible things and these these are kind of the faction that like want to like say well this is an opportunity for us to spring forth into something new and uh, the exiles are a very handy faction because that's anyone else who came from space um mm-hmm. so no no like no big alien faction would want to come to this planet because it's horrible um so any aliens that do end up here are just kind of the desperate losers of space and really? they, they may well have just been sent down here because they've got nowhere else to go. So um, if you've got a weird looking alien type um, character, uh, you can find a home for them in the Exiles as well. Awesome. That's really um, uh, evocative of a world. So um, and, and again, loads of conversion ideas um, and big monsters are a part of this. So you, you said that that was something you wanted to have. Yeah. So, so they... the anything or, or what's the deal with that? So there's... Um... There's 36 horrors in the book um, and there's 36 uh, conflicts as well. So what happens is at the start of a game, um, for most, for sort of a standard setup, you'll be choosing both a horror from that 36 and a conflict from that 36. Uh, The conflict is like almost like a secondary uh, objective that you're both competing over. Like if we've both got warbands, we'll both be competing over something like maybe it's to seize 
a high ground or maybe it's to um, escort some survivors off the map to our side. Um, but then the horror is kind of the, they started out as kind of like just random encounters that would wander onto the board or be there in certain scenarios. But then the more I messed around with it, the more I wanted them to be kind of like almost like a puzzle to solve, like a boss monster. Yep. So they have they have very simple, like sort of, I, don't, I hesitate to call it AI, but they have a very simple like set of priorities for what they'll do. Like they'll 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 attack someone if they can. If they can't, they'll move towards someone. And if they can't, they'll move towards the nearest person even if they can't see them because of their scent kicking in. Um, so they they're quite predictable on how they move in many ways. Um, but because they're so simple, I've each of them kind of breaks the rules in a different way. So you've got uh, a couple of examples. There's one that just doesn't have the normal turn sequence where normally each turn will take turns activating units. And when, when you activate a unit, they're exhausted for the rest of the turn. So you, each unit is going to go once per once per round, basically. Uh, there's one of the horrors that just doesn't do that. They just keep moving every single activation. <laughs> um, there's some that are not even on the board to begin with, and they'll just sort of influence the board remotely and then kind of land somewhere. Uh, there's some that sort of like they, they feed off like the abilities of other units that are near them and that there's 36 of these so each of them is kind of its own like way of breaking the game and they, they start off I, i've deliberately kind of done it so they start off quite simple so the first few are kind of like big things that will run at you and try and eat you um but um but as they go through they do get quite weird um and yeah they they're, they're kind of the the focus of the setting is you are essentially horror hunters so you are trying to hunt down these big creatures um and yeah each of them presents a, a quite a unique problem yes and you've um in your interview in wargames illustrated you've spoken about the idea of competitive collaboration and so that's what the monsters bring is that the idea or yeah so this this started more as um a, a sort of what's the word like a kind of just principle for play in general because i was thinking about how i like to actually play these games and when I was writing the Dooms, a lot of inspiration that I saw was coming from the whole side of like narrative war games. Um, so one that's really interesting, actually, is Games Workshop's old game Inquisitor. Oh yeah, um, it's. I don't know if I'd ever play it as it is because it's it's kind of <laughs> it's a uh, it's a lot. Uh, yes. <laughs> but a lot of the design of it is really interesting because it's one of the least like competitive war games I've ever read. It's kind of built on the assumption that you will work out kind of a scenario either together or with a like a games master yeah. and and then kind of run it almost more like an rpg which i know this is this is a pretty common thing in like historical war games yeah um but it's not something you see all that often in the kind of sci-fi fantasy especially like games workshop um yeah. not since sort of very early editions anyway um so i like this idea of exploring well can we make a game that's a bit more leaning into that and it's a bit more like we're, we're playing to discover what happens together that's kind of, that's a term that's used actually in role-playing games in um in a game called powered by the uh, sorry apocalypse world mm-hmm. um i think i think it was first there was was this idea of play to find out what happens yeah so you're you're kind of the, the main function of the game is to kind of essentially just kind of almost like an experiment like we're just going to see what happens like can can these guys beat these guys but I, I also wanted it to be competitive. So that's how I ended up at this kind of middle thing of like, well, you're balancing these two ideas, which is you you want to play to win because I do like the element of competition yeah. and, and it feels right that like your warband should be doing the best they can to try and win and mine should be doing the best they can to try and win. But also we're also playing to find out what happens. So 
I'm not going to sort of if, if you want to do something kind of interesting and and you might be like there's an argument that I could say well you, you can't quite see my character there you're just out of sight or something like that there might be times when you kind of think well no we'll, we'll let that go because we're collaborating to make an interesting game happen yeah um so yeah that it'll be interesting to see how it's received because I know it's I know you get people that land on all or end of the spectrum and I'm trying to trying to thread the needle a little bit in in hitting the middle but uh yeah. but yeah we'll see it'll be interesting it certainly appeals, I think, um, to the kind of games that me, Tom, Andy, and other friends play. Yeah. Um, even if it's not in the rules, there's times where you go, technically I've won the mission, but I want to play this through because it'll be more fun. Or you say, well, let's pretend that didn't happen because it's going to ruin the game. And I think part um, of it comes from, um, again, part of, part of how you end up with people that really fight against that, I think, is when you've got, if you've got a game that lasts for, you know, four or five hours to run a game. And that's going to be your only game of this for, maybe you're going to play once a month to meet up with friends and you're going to play yeah. one game if you're lucky. And you've spent all this time tinkering and building your army and you really care about all these units. Then I understand why people get like, really like emotionally invested in having their army do what they kind of imagined it would do. Yeah. Um, but this game, you know, this this can run really quickly. If if it goes really badly, the game might only last twenty minutes, half an hour, because you might get wiped out by this horror because they yeah. are pretty horrible. Um, and e- even like a sort of a standard game is probably coming in under an hour long. So I think that helps because then even if things do go badly, you kind of got in the back of your head. Well, we're here for a few hours. Uh, we'll, we'll probably fit in two or three games of this. Um, and I think I think that helps a lot, certainly. And there's the campaign element to it, so you progress through the monsters. Yeah, so with campaigns for... So my my only real... Exp- the, the closest experience I have to a campaign like this before is I was in like a necro- mini little Necromunda campaign when I was like a teenager. Yeah. And that had a whole system where, you know, if you won battles, you'd take territory and you'd get more stuff and your characters would like level up and get more skills and things like that. And the, every person I spoke to about this kind of campaign, kind of someone always brings up the same thing of like, oh yeah, but it's really bad if you if you fall behind, it's not oh, yes. that much fun because unless you've got like someone who's running the group and they kind of make the scenario fit, eventually you're going to end up with like people that are just really mismatched and not, and not in a kind of fun asymmetric way, but in a kind of, well, you guys are just a lot better than me. <laughs> so I wanted to have a campaign, but I didn't want it to be like that. So if you are successful in killing a horror or successful in um, in winning the conflict of the, the the other half of the scenario, the conflict half, um, you get options to buy more stuff. So if you kill a horror, now you can, if, if, the, if this horror had this digestive acid they could spit, you now have sort of unlocked this digestive acid gun that you can use. And you can take its claws and make them into like you can make these blades from its claws, and you have a kind of slightly lesser version of that horror's weird special ability. Um, yeah. But everyone is still everyone kind of advance in terms of points to spend on your warband. Everyone always advances at the same rate. So if we're playing a campaign together and you beat me every week for six weeks, um, you'll have access to a lot more stuff when you're shopping and building your warband. Um, but we still will both be building our warband from. I don't know, say 30 points or something at that at that stage so it's this kind of horizontal growth so you still want to win and you want to get access to that stuff and that that stuff isn't necessarily outright better uh it tends to be more expensive um but it has got 
that kind of weird fun stuff that you'll want to get. Um, so in terms of growing in power, that's one half of it. But the other half of the campaign is, like I said, you've got these five dooms of the world and they're like hunger, hunger, domination, uh, oblivion, ruin, and another one that I can't remember the name of. Uh, death? I don't know. There's five horrible things going on. And what's okay. going to happen is these these five sort of doom meters are growing as the campaign goes on. And um, and eventually one of them will hit a kind of critical mass and there'll be this big cataclysmic uh, scenario where you're all kind of now working together to survive against this one big horrible thing that's happening. Uh, but if your warband can achieve enough stuff along the way, they can kind of trigger their own finale to the campaign. So if you reach a certain amount of this uh, sort of renown points, uh, then there will be a final scenario, but it will kind of be, you'll be the one that's trying to do the the, the big selfish, horrible thing. Like it might be that you're trying to get, uh, have an exodus. So you're trying to get all your people to this ship and get off the planet. Or it could be that you're trying to, there's a coronation. So you're trying to have your warband leader like made into the ruler of this area and the, the other warbands are trying to stop you. So it, it all kind of leads to a climax, but I wanted to avoid that kind of, I wanted to avoid those pitfalls of where you can feel like you're, you've kind of fallen off the main, <laughs> you've kind of fallen out of the campaign yourself, even though you're still there. So if, it, should, yeah. it should feel like warbands are always involved all the way to the finish. I, I, this all sounds very roleplay-esque, I think. <laughs> you know, <laughs> run, run, and, uh, and also, yeah, like Necromunda or, or, or one of those skirmish games, um, I think we... Uh, They've done various different attempts. I know that whole problem with Necromunda, where you just end up with such a power disparity. I, I, I never played in the campaign. But I know that's something Andy's spoken about and mm. Tom as well. Um, yeah, the idea of grabbing monsters and then sort of milking their acid glands. <laughs> the kind of thing I've done in an RPG. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing for that is, um, so I should have said, as well as the horror, um, the horror will often come with like a few minions as well. So like maybe yeah. it, could, it could be just one or it could be like three or four um, smaller minions, which are kind of, it's assumed that the horror is going to be kind of like a monster sized creature, but the minions are going to be more like your standard. They look, look, look like they maybe could be in your warband. Okay. And obviously the way I'm going with this is uh, if you beat the horror, sometimes you'll get access to like buy the minion into your warband. Um, because this is the the concern with kit bashing um specific mo models for this for like a single scenario is i always know that i'm thinking am i going to use this like once and then never use it again <laughs> so any excuse to kind of bring those back to the table um I, i've definitely included that in there i think the uh, my immediate thought was that the, your end boss is going to be all of them stuck together with super glue <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's the natural conclusion yeah yeah and yeah, there's there's sort of broad guidelines about the, what you know these monsters can do, but it's it's up to the player and players how they convert up these monsters, and it's up to there's a deal of interpretation. Is that right? Yeah. So very much like the warbands, I wanted to make it so that they were they were evocative enough that you might read it and get a vision in your head of what they could look like, mm -hmm. but it wasn't so prescriptive that you thought, well, I don't really have anything that looks like that um so the what one of them that's in the i think it's the first one in the book actually called the devourer um when i wrote that i'd i'd, I'd actually kitbashed something together for that and i used various parts i think most of it was from like a chaos spawn but it had this horrible like like a fly kind of mouth and it oh, had yes, um, yeah. all these claws sticking off it and it was it's kind of like a weird big bug fly thing um 
but then uh, Anna, uh, who did the miniatures for the for the photography for the book, uh, yep. when Anna did it, I said like, you know, I, I, gave, I gave like a rough description of here's how I kind of see it, but you do what you want. And Anna's devourer was like this big wolf thing with like three mouths. Um, mm. And it still completely fit because it was this, this monster is kind of like made to represent like hunger and stuff. So it, it, it made sense completely. But you would put them both on the shelf and you wouldn't think they were both the same, the same monster. So it's uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing people's kind of people posting like horrors they've made and trying to guess which one it is out of the book. I think that'll be really fun. And uh, in terms of if you when people start playing, where's a good place to post this stuff? Would you say would Instagram and, or, or a, a, is there a Facebook page? What, what's what would you encourage? I'll, I'll get you to plug your um, sort of various socials at the end. But wh where if, if anyone was going to start converting, where would be a good place to post this stuff? I think Instagram's probably a good place to start for that. that that's yeah. where I go prowling for miniatures. And there is a um, so there is a Discord server. I know you said I can plug later, but I'm going to plug now. <laughs> Fair enough. Go for it. <laughs> there, is, there is a Discord server. Um, if you go to bastionland.com. Um, there's a link to my Discord server there, and that has like a miniature section. So people are kind of posting their things they've been cobbling together in there as well. Um, but yeah, in, Instagram is probably a pretty good one if you tag me in there as well. That's great. And I think I uh, recognised um, the stuff from War Games Illustrated. I was like, I, I think I follow this um, uh, miniature artist on on Instagram. And so, okay. so there's a vibe I think of quite a lot of what people are doing that is trying to you know get your sci-fi and your grim dark and your sort of fantasy apocalypse kind of stuff in there and that yeah captures that i think really well yeah i mean it's the the ink 28 stuff and all the blanchet yeah. stuff like like that that was absolutely what got me really inspired to go back to kit bashing in the first place um yeah. and things like the turnip 28 as well just people that were able to because i think when i was when i started in the hobby like i say so much of the miniatures so many of the miniatures were metal I yeah. didn't have good tools. I hate gluing things. I was rubbish at painting. I'm not much better now. Um, but I I would always look at these conversions in like White Dwarf that people were doing and they'd say, oh yeah, well we chopped off this arm for this and we chopped off this head for this bit. And I would look at these big chunks of lead that I had like <laughs> in my house and I would think, how how did I even do that? If I, I had no means of like chopping a head off a, a lead miniature at that point. So yeah. I feel like all that frustration is now being released in in being inspired by all these people who are uh, putting all this stuff together now that it's so easy to do it with plastics and things like that. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't recommend. Uh, well, I mean, you can do uh, conversions with metal, but I wouldn't recommend any kids or, or young uh, teenagers do it. No, no. <laughs> I, I um, had HeroQuest. And of oh, course, yeah. as soon as I saw that this is the thing that people did, I chopped up all my hero quests and oh, stuck wow. them all back together. Complete <laughs> disaster, and uh, probably um, uh, probably should have kept it all pristine. But um, <laughs> it, yeah, that 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 thing really appeals. And I, I, I do a lot of historicals, and I you always end up with spare bits. Mm. So the idea of mixing sci-fi and fantasy um, really appeals. I guess what you're doing is you're having your cake and eating it from that first conversation with the red shirted guy about is it swords, is it guns? That's you're it. To do that. It's both, absolutely. And this awesome. is the thing as well. I remember like in 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 like old issues of White Door, people would talk about their bits box. But mm. I was like, I haven't got a bits box because the, the kits I were buying, like little blisters, kind of had everything that was just there. So I, my bits box were like bits of sprue and like just like I think I had like a few like spare shields or something. I was like, how are people talking about reading their bits box? But now 
yeah, you end up with so much stuff. I've I've probably borderline got too many bits now. And it's going to pay <laughs> me to like get rid of them. Um, but yeah, it's completely different nowadays. I think with the big monsters as well in the, I forget which issue it is, you've got um, one of the monsters is, um, part of it is a wind-up skull. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I picked up that one this weekend, actually, that, um, that issue. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, I hadn't considered toy bashing before, as they call it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that could be something. Because funnily enough, actually, um, this is a bit of a tangent, but um, last year I started, like, I got into Gaslands, um, oh, yeah. which obviously uses, like, converted Matchbox and Hot Wheels cars. Yeah. And it was such a joy shopping for those cars, like, going into, like, a big toy shop and going through because compared to miniatures they're so cheap and there's so many oh, yeah. so much choice and they're all really like well solidly built as well um so any excuse to go back into like the big toy shop and go mi mining for miniature parts uh that's something i'm definitely gonna <laughs> reconsider now i've read that article awesome and uh so this is going to be published by osprey um how did you find the experience of working with osprey uh so really good um I, the reason I wanted to do this, so so my my last two RPGs that I've done have been kind of um, basically self-published, and um, well, sorry, Electro Bastion was self-published, and the the remaster of Into the Odd was through Free League, um, but I've always kind of had it in mind that I would now be publishing my own stuff. But yeah. um, when I kind of when this started to reach a point where I thought this could be something that I could, uh, you know, people might be interested in in having. Uh, I thought, well, because I've kind of, my area is like RPGs and I've got some contacts in RPGs and I've hopefully built a little bit of an audience in, in RPGs. But I thought going into miniatures is kind of like a, a step away from that. So I was a bit, I thought, well, I'd, I'd ideally like to do it with someone who knows what they're doing and um, and kind of people would trust. Uh, so I actually got in touch with Osprey through, I, I I do a podcast and I interviewed um, Joseph McCulloch, who wrote uh, Stargrave and Frostgrave. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Oathmark and various things. And at the end of the conversation, he said, oh, um, by the way, uh, uh, Phil at Osprey is, is a big fan. And I thought he was just being kind of like polite. And I was like, oh, great. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and then he said, yeah, he said, if you ever want to like pitch anything to Osprey, you know, get, get in touch. So I contacted uh, Phil at Osprey and um we kind of got chatting and at, at the time it wasn't quite ready yet i just i saw we sort of just got chatting in general terms and then i said like yeah i'll let you know if anything comes up and then eventually it kind of fell into place and um an osprey seemed like the kind of natural fit because i knew that obviously they worked with joseph mcculloch and like i say with gaslands with mike hutchinson it seemed like they were a really good place to go if you wanted to make something that still had a kind of designer identity yeah um but had a kind of professional publishing house behind it so um it felt like you could get the best of both worlds there so um so yeah it, it's been really good they've, they've been very um they've had a really good balance of the uh the, the editing process has been very thorough um yeah. because i can be how can i phrase this in rpgs you can write rules that are quite loose sure so if i'm writing an rpg ability i can say like oh your character can climb walls like a spider and that's about all that you need to know but in in a war game you kind of sometimes need a bit more than that. Like, he's like, well, how fast can they climb this wall and what type of wall? So I, I haven't, like, made it, haven't gone into too much detail, but there's been a few times where, like, rules were worded a little bit inconsistently. Um, I'll say a few instances, quite a lot of instances. So uh, it was really good to go through that whole process and get it all tightened up 
yeah. by Osprey. But in terms of like the actual design, they've been they've been hands off in a very good way. I think they've I've had lots of good feedback from them, but um, it's still very much the game that I went in with. If you see yeah. what I mean, which which is always a concern when you go into a publisher. Uh, so it was great to have that experience. Cool. No, it sounds really um, exciting, and I, I will uh, definitely be playing it when it comes out. Um, we've got a couple of questions from the Facebook uh, group. Yeah. So, um, uh, first question is: um, In general, where do you start with a project? Is it a game design mechanic you have in mind, or is it like a general concept or vibe that you that you have? To be honest, most projects I start come from coming from very nearly liking something else right so so to use like the, the first rpg i kind of published was called into the odd and um that started because i was playing a lot of dnd and especially like old school like basic dnd oh yeah um and very kind of the, the more rules like end of dnd and i and i very almost liked it um i had lots of good games but i never really liked the system so that started as like a, a dnd hack um, and then I kind of kept hacking until it was no longer quite recognizable as as D and D, even though there was still a lot of similarity there. Um, and that kind of, I feel like that that might sound like not a great place to start because you're kind of starting with someone else's idea almost. But I find that if I start from that point, inevitably I'll reach a point where it's completely different. So, mm-hmm. um, so with the the doomed, I think some of the first systems I looked at when I wanted to use someone else's system were things like the one-page rules systems. Yep. Um, obviously, things like Frostgrave and Stargrave I really like. Yep. Um, so a lot of what I sort of first started to put on the page was almost like a hack of those systems. Uh, so it, it often starts from there and then just mutates until it becomes something entirely different. And uh, on mechanics, um, is there like a modern mechanic? This is another question from the Facebook group. Is there a mechanic that's out there that you wish you had created? I'm going to look at my shelf while I think about this because um, <laughs> when, when, you, when I was slightly pre-warned of this question and uh, I, I got slightly terrified. <laughs> well, no, you know what? Actually, I can see something. It's, it's not quite a mechanic um, yeah. because I, the, well, I'll, I'll answer this in two parts. So when it comes to mechanics, I'm always very wary of if I write a mechanic and I'm really proud of it and I think it's really clever because often those are the mechanics that sometimes are too clever and mm-hmm. sometimes it's better to do it the stupid way, if that makes sense. Sometimes the stupid way is just quicker sure. and it's less flashy and it's less kind of, it's not going to make designers go, oh, yes, how, how clever. But if it's just something like you roll a D6 and there's a 50-50 chance that this happens or doesn't happen, sometimes that's all you need mm-hmm. and it's much easier to learn. It's much easier to remember. So I, I do kind of try to stray away from clever mechanics wherever I can and try and make the whole package work very elegantly if I can rather than having any particular subsystems but one thing that I um well I guess it's a rule book that I read and I immediately thought I wish I'd done something like this because this is this really appeals to me is a book called one hour war games okay by uh Neil Thomas Mm -hmm. that rings Um, a bell I've not read it but yeah I've heard of it so the thing I like about it is the principle of this is it's a very, very cheap kind of A5 paperback book, um, maybe like a, a, a hundred pages, I think. And it's um, it starts with a very simple war game system um, for well, it starts with like ancients. So it's like this is a really simple system for moving blocks of units around 
and it's it's incredibly simple like it, it fits on a couple of pages in this book and that that's everything you need and there's four different types of units um so it might just be that there's i think it's like infantry archers cavalry and i forget what the fourth unit is in um in the ancients but there's four types of units and then the rest of the book well the, the rest of the first half of the book is just the same the exact same rule system but the next one is a medieval section and the rules are slightly changed and the types of units are slightly changed so now cavalry behaves slightly differently and now imagery behaves slightly differently and he the thing that i really like is he he then explains why that is and he has just a couple of pages saying so here i'm trying to encapsulate the medieval period in just four units so i chose this and this and this for this reason and and then you've got a, a big bank of scenarios at the back and it, it does this for sort of 10 periods i think all the way through to um i think like first world war is kind of the the last period mm. and it's and it's really interesting because i always like books that have a very i, I like i like books that have a lot of stuff to rules ratio yeah. so a very simple system and then it doesn't just leave it at that because sometimes a simple system leaves you feeling like you don't know what to do with it but a very simple system that then has lots and lots of stuff to do and it explains explaining how this system works and explaining why it was designed the way it was um, and i guess that's kind of what i tried to do with the dune because the vast majority of the book is all of these horrors and all of these scenarios and this this campaign system uh but the rules themselves you know a, a couple of pages uh so yeah that that was that was one that i was really that really inspired me in a very different way to kind of when you very different than if you read a rule set and you think oh this is really clever it was just a kind of different approach i see i have his book on napoleonics uh, his napoleonics book yeah yeah I, I should i should crack it open uh, it's on my to read file but that really sounds fascinating it's really um, interesting yeah I, i'm not sure how well i I, I'm, I can't vouch for the actual quality of the rules itself even i think it's just a really fascinating book uh definitely so that's one yeah one hour war games is is the book awesome well thanks very much for your time chris uh, really interesting um if people want to follow more um how they get where, where's the where, where should they look uh so if you go to www.bastionland.com uh that's got a little link in the sidebar well that's, that's my blog so that's where i post everything that comes into my head um but you can also in the sidebar it's got all of my games and it's got all of my socials there so there's a discord server youtube channel podcast uh twitter although that may have exploded by the time this sure. episode comes out um and I, I don't know if my instagram's in there but my instagram is at bastionland so if, if you want me anywhere just look for bastionland and that's probably me amazing awesome well thank you very much cheers thank you <laughs>